Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, and let's pray together. Father, as we look through your scripture, Father, open our hearts, give us understanding, inspire us, Lord, even as you, you touch this man uh, who came to the study on Tuesday night, Lord, and, and brought tears to his eyes and just overwhelmed his heart. Father, we want to be overwhelmed with you. We, we need your touch, God. We need to hear from you. And, and so your children are here asking that you would speak, Father, that you would minister to us, that you would allow us to gain just understanding of these things. And might they be helpful to our lives. We thank you for your goodness, your, your mercy. Father, we do lift up Cynthia, their family. Lord, have mercy on them. We pray, Lord, that you would touch and heal her receive all glory, that it would be an obvious miracle, Lord, and Lord, that's our desire, but your will be done in her life, God, and we pray that you give them strength through this time, Lord, and help us to know how to minister to them. God, give us wisdom, give us sensitivity, Lord, give us your love for them. Thank you for the answered prayers with Jonathan and, and the things you are doing in our lives, Lord. Father, it, it's amazing that it is through those difficult times, those trials, that you produce so many things that are lasting. And, and I pray you would produce even more of those things within our hearts here tonight. For we offer ourselves to you, Lord, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Romans chapter 4. Paul has been on a roll, basically laying foundation to the church that is in Rome about man's condition, what we, we've called the depravity of man. He talked about the Gentiles, he talked about the Jews, he talked about all of us together in this situation. And in this chapter, he, he's changing a little bit and is going to start giving us the cure, start fixing it in a sense, and, and helping us to understand what is necessary. He, he's already told us those things but he's going to expound on those things for us. He's going to talk about saving faith. He's going to, about the foundation, uh, the promise of God, what that is to us and why that's important, as well as that promise's outcome in justification before God. And let's read verses 1 through 3 together as we pick up. He says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter. Now, in this matter is referring to the end of chapter uh, 3, where he talks about basically who Jesus was. He, he's defending what it is to be justified uh, by faith and that there is no contradiction between the, the gospel message and the Old Testament. That's what he's talking about. What should we say about this? That there is no contradiction between who Jesus is, the good news that he brings to us, and the Old Testament. So, what should we say about this matter in verse 2? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. I love how Paul starts off and he says, what does the scripture say? He, he's not bringing something new here. In other words, he's not bringing about some new, out-of-the-blue doctrine. You know, if someone ever says, I, 
God has revealed something new to me. There's a word for something new. It's called heresy. There is nothing new. If it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. There's a, a young boy who the family at Christmas time got one of those nativity scenes and he's all excited opening it up, you know, and they went in there and they started opening and there, you know, he got the, the camels and, you know, he got the shepherds and some sheep and then he finally got to baby Jesus and he started unwrapping and he opens it up and he goes, oh, look, mom, baby Jesus is in his car seat. <laughs> no, it's a manger. There's nothing new. It's still a manger. It's not a car seat. There's not something that he's presenting new. This is something that God has revealed from long ago. And he says, what do the scriptures say? And that's great advice. When God puts something on our hearts or we feel ministered by something, what do the scriptures say? Remember, that's our guidelines. That keeps us in bounds. And Paul is showing that this good news is in the boundaries of scripture. What do the scriptures say? And he quotes Genesis 15:5 about Abraham, where it says that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, faith does not operate in a void. It always is based on God's promise. And so, as Abraham believed God, which is faith, it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God for, for what? For the promise that God gave him. And he's going to explain that promise later on, that he would be the father of many nations. He believed God's promise. In other words, God told me something. That's what I put faith in. That's what I'm putting my stock on. And God says, I'm going to count that you as righteousness. I'm going to put that in your count as you are right before me because you believed what I said. And I want to present this at the beginning because we are all challenged to believe so many things, whether it's about ourselves, whether it's about others, or to believe what God says. I don't feel forgiven. God says, I am. I, I don't feel like I'm righteous, but God says, I am. And we constantly are battling what God says and what we feel. We all do. And depending on the day, depending on the circumstances, depending on what you ate for lunch, who knows, you are affected in so many ways, and there is the decision that we have to make whether we're going to believe God or not. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as that's the right thing to do. You did right by believing in me. He goes on in verses 4 down through 8. First second, before we go through that. A little bit more about faith. Faith comes, we know from Romans 10, from hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing 
the word of God or the message of Jesus Christ. It does not rely on our trust. It relies on God. And we just, we need to remember that, that faith comes by hearing the word of God and believing that. It's not a matter of us feeling it. It's not a matter of what we believe. His word is true. We're going to see later too that it's sure. It's a guarantee. And so remember that, that faith comes by believing in what God has said. Even when it doesn't seem possible. Verse 4, he goes on. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. And so Paul goes on now and he gives a little bit of an example about works and works and wages are connected to each other. They, they belong together and in contrast, so does faith and grace as we're going to see later on in verse 16. And so the idea of you work, you get your wages. That's what you get. That They go hand in hand. So if a man works and he gets his wages, then it's not a gift. It's something he earned. But if he gets something he didn't work for, well, then it's not a work. It's a gift. It's something that was given to him by God. And he says, really, a profound thing, something that it should make you stop and go, what did he just say? It's credit to him a gift. It's not an obligation. However, verse 5 to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked. If you just heard that, what would you think? God who justifies the wicked. That's wrong. That just doesn't seem right. How could God justify the wicked? Well, remember contextually, contextually, this is everybody is wicked. He talked about that chapter one. He talked about that chapter two. He emphasized that chapter three. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God justifies the wicked. And we talked about this Sunday about the atoning sacrifice. God doesn't just say, oh, it's okay, you're wicked. God judges wickedness and he did through Jesus Christ. And so we need to remember the context about the God who justifies the wicked. It's not that God says, oh, you're wicked, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. It is a big deal. That's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus died. And so God is giving this gift out of justification freely to the wicked. It still amazes me. It still shocks me that God is stooping so low to save us. 
it, it amazes me that he cares enough to reach out for you and I and those around us. That he makes the retribution. You know, when we were in court, we were standing or sitting there and someone was standing before the judge and the judge was telling this young man, so um, you've gone three years, you haven't paid anything, you haven't done any of the community service or jail time that you were supposed to do. What were you thinking? It was just going to go away? And they'd say, no, your honor. And then she'd say, so what were you thinking? Well, I guess I was um, just waiting for the right time. I mean, he had no words. What, what do you think? He would just kind of say, and she goes, well, you had your opportunity, so I was hoping for another chance. She goes, I gave you another chance last time. You didn't take your other chance. You blew it. And because you haven't done anything, you have to pay the, de the debt. So you're going to go to the bailiff, and, and this one guy, I don't know if it was his girlfriend or his wife was there, and she's all crying behind us, you know. And they're like, well, you we need to get your jewelry and to get all the stuff, and you're just sitting there going, oh, man, this is crazy. And the guy goes into the room, and they can't come out. You're, you're now our property. You go past that door line, and you don't come back out. It's, you have to pay the debt. And that's the whole idea. Jesus paid our debt. So we get to go before the judge. What are you going to do about the, the wickedness in your, your soul? What are you going to do about the debt, the, the justice that God requires? And you say, I, I can't pay it. And Jesus says, it's okay, I, I'll cover it. And they take Jesus in instead of us. God who justifies the wicked. But remember, he justifies the wicked because he paid the penalty in the Son, Jesus Christ. Important to understand that because... That's the good news. It's not that God tolerates and is okay with wickedness. He's dealt with it. And it's important because God is moving us to holiness. He's not allowing us to stay in our wickedness. He's justifying us from it to move us to a different place. And that's what we want, is to be moved to that place of holiness. And so God who justifies the wicked... His faith is credited as righteousness. Now, faith is believing in the promise of God. It's based on something. I believe the promise of God. Okay, then it's credited to you as righteousness. I believed in what Jesus did. Therefore, it's credited to me as righteous. He paid my penalty. He paid my debt. And so, David says the same thing. Remember, he's talking, the scriptures say this. And then he quotes the Psalms. He quotes from Psalm 32. He uses Moses, or Abraham, who was you know, a huge example before the law, and he uses David, who is now after the law. And he says, blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Amen. Blessed means, oh, how happy, how fulfilled. I am satisfied. The Lord will not hold my sin against me. That's party news, man. That, that is good. That's as good as it gets. That's what I felt like when the judge told Jonathan, and, and that's not even the final thing, when he says, okay, I will not, you know, you will not have to pay any of these penalties. Just show proof to me that you fulfilled this. 
Just show me that you believe in Jesus. I won't hold this against you. Believe in him, and I won't hold it. That's as good as it gets. All those, I mean, I have that. I gave Colleen the paperwork. I mean, all these papers, she's just going, I'm just going, dude, man, that's a lot of stuff. You know, you're, man, all gone. Blessed is the man whose sins are covered. Remember we talked about the mercy seat? The mercy seat covered the law so that you couldn't see it. Our lives are covered by Jesus. It's as if he's putting himself over us. And when God has to judge, he says, no, not this one. This one's mine. We're covered. We're covered. Our, our sins are forgiven. The Lord will never count them against us. Blessed is the man. Abraham believed God. David exclaimed this. Verse 9, it says, Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. And that's what they believed. Yeah, that's what the scripture says. It says that in Genesis. The Jewish community says Abraham was justified. He was credited as righteousness, his faith. And so he goes on, he says, Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. In other words, he's telling that God justified Abraham before he was a Jew. That it was actually a Gentile who was justified before God by faith. It was about... 14 years before he was circumcised. And it was hundreds of, years, hundreds of years before the law. And so God, by faith, justified Abraham before he started following any rituals, any ceremonial obligations. And, and Paul's exclamating this point. When was he justified by faith. When did God credit to him as righteous? It was before he was circumcised, when he was, in a sense, a Gentile. Now, now this is great, because Paul is showing that from the very beginning, the scriptures had us all in one pot. He used the Jewish nation to bring clarity to what God wanted, but all along, He's wanted us together. And that's why he could say there's neither slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ. It was God's goal from the very beginning. And so he says, and he received, verse 11, the sign of circumcision, at a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. Well, the Jews said, he is our father. Abraham is our father. And he goes, oh yeah, he is, but he's their father too. Because he was right before God before he was circumcised. So there, he belongs to them too. And what a powerful thing. That they thought this was exclusive. He goes, no. God 
gave him this righteousness when he believed in him before he was circumcised. And he's the father of the circumcised, verse 12, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. He's your father. He's their father. He's the father of faith. Not just the father of the nation Israel. Is he? Oh, yeah. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's their father, but he's the father of faith. Which means he's our father, too. I feel like breaking into that song, Father Abraham had many sons. But I won't do that. Verse 13. It says, It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value, and the promise is worthless. Remember, he talked about how can you work for a promise? How can you work for a gift? You can't. Here's where we see that the, the promise that comes by faith, okay, it's a promise that comes by faith. For if those who live by the law are heirs, because, verse 15, because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no righteousness. You're, you're justified by faith, not by the law. The law could only show our transgression. It, it could not bring us into faith. You can't work and get the gift of God. It's amazing what laws do to us. It's amazing how our human minds think. Because when a law says this is wrong, if we really want to, we don't care. Years ago, remember when the Susan B. Anthony dollars came out? They kind of looked like quarters. And so they weren't received very well because they kind of looked like quarters. It's like, whose brainstorm was that? <laughs> You know, you know, it'll be nice. They'll be like quarters. And then, but it didn't take off. When they first came out, they were just really, the banks had stockpiles of them. They couldn't, like, okay, this isn't happening. It's not working well. Except there was one bank in Georgia that they were getting rid of boatloads. And so they actually sent someone down there to find out what was going on and why they were getting rid of all these Susan B. Anthony dollars. And they asked the banker, what's going on? Why is your bank getting... And he said, it's simple. We put up a sign, Susan B. Anthony dollars available here, limit two per customer. <laughs> and they said people were coming in and coming back in. They were dressing different as if you didn't recognize them. They just, with this idea, you can only have two. They said, oh, well, I got to get more then. This idea that I, I have to do this. And you see, what the law does is a similar thing. Is it, it shows you what's really going on inside of you. You tell someone you can only have two. Well, I've got to figure out what way I can get four. I've got to find a loophole. And it just points to where you're really at. It's as if I were to say, don't think about elephants. Everyone just thought about elephants. 
And the more I tell you don't think about elephants, the more you think, if you think about elephants, it will be really bad for you. How do you stop? Well, the law can't make you stop. All it can do is make you think about what it is that the problem is. And so you can't work your way out of it. You need the gift. In verse 16, he goes on and he talks about that. He says, therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace. And just like works and wages, here we have faith and grace. You work, you get paid for what you work. You, you get what you deserve. You get what you've earned. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You will never be able to earn it. That's what chapters 1, 2, and 3 explain. But if you have faith in believing what God can do, then you can get the grace because you believe. It's a gift. I believe he's going to give it to me. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to deserve it. I'm free from that. All I have to do is believe his promise. And he says, then I will give you the grace. And, and looks into this. So that it may be grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. I love that it says that it might be guaranteed. Otherwise, you're not guaranteed. Some translations will say sure, that it might be sure. And it's only guaranteed if it comes from God. You ever remember that game, Shoots and Ladders? Do you guys, is that dating myself? I liked that game, except, you know, every now and then you'd get to this place and you'd go and then you'd have to go down that chute and you'd, I was almost there, I almost won, but I, I got the wrong one and I had to go back, you know, 10 spaces or whatever. And sometimes, man, our lives are like that. It's like, I'm trying to work my way out of this, I'm getting there, and then boom, I hit that wrong number, go spiraling down. Well, this is guaranteed. Because it's not based on us and what we can do. It's based on him. Faith and belief in what he has done. It's guaranteed. And I love that, that it comes from his grace so that it can be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. And that's us all. Paul has just grafted us into the family through Abraham. Anyone who believes by faith is now a child of Abraham. And you have a foundation that is guaranteed. The foundation is belief in God's grace. A sure foundation. One that cannot be moved. One that stands no matter what the circumstances. Because even like we started off and just praying about this this evening, circumstances change. They're good, they're bad, they're indifferent. It comes and goes. It just moves us in so many ways. And we need something that does not change. And that is the promise of God. It will not change. It stands forever. Where do you want to put your trust? In your ability to get there? Or in what God has said and promised that's guaranteed? 
That's our options. It's guaranteed for all. It's sure it will not give way. And then in verse 17, it says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Now, I wonder what the nation of Israel thought when it says many nations, but they seem to think, well, no, it's just our nation. Who are the other nations? What is he talking about? What does he mean, the father of many nations? Who are they? Paul says, that's us. Those who believe by faith. We are the faith nation. It doesn't have a good ring. I was thinking it could be like a band or something, but we are a nation, those who believe. And it encompasses what he's dealing with here, those who are in Rome. And he's bringing out that point that you guys are a part of this family because the promise was to many nations and that includes you here in Rome. That includes us too here in the United States or, or whatever nationality you might be. It doesn't change. Verse 18, he says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Wow, that's powerful. That, that's just remarkable. And as it starts off, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Now, hope, we, we've taken that word and we've made it something different than what it means scripturally. We say, oh gosh, I hope it'll happen. And it's almost like, I don't think so, but I, there's, I'm crossing my fingers. But the idea of hope is it's going to happen. I am placing trust in that. I have hope. I have assurance. Faith is the things hoped for, the evidence of what we don't see. It's something that we believe. That's what hope. I'm hoping this will happen. It doesn't mean, oh gosh, I wonder if it's going to really happen. It means, no, I have hope in that. I believe that that's going to happen. And what Abraham, and no wonder he's the father of faith, because he believed, and, and even when he was just about dead, when he was 100 years old, when Sarah was past the ability to bear children, he still had hope. No, God said so. God said this is going to happen. And, and so I believe that it's going to happen. It's something that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, it says that he believed that even if Isaac had to be raised from the dead, that God would do it. When God told him, take your son Isaac, sacrifice him, he said, well, God, I believe God's promise, what God said to me, that I would be the father of many nations. And so even if he has to bring Isaac from the dead, I believe that he'll do that. Before there was any talk of resurrection, before there was any thoughts of what it means to bring someone back from the dead, Abraham believed that God could do that because God promised me. 
put yourself in this situation. I have to kill my son. But God promised me. I believe God's promise is more powerful than the death of my son. That God is able to raise him. I believe more in God's promise than taking the life of my son will bring finality. You see, this is such a powerful picture. And he's going to bring it to, to conclusion here. But Abraham believed the eternal and believed the promise of God to be as guaranteed as it gets so that he would not have to waver. He did not, oh no, what's going to happen now if God asked me to do that? How is he going to? God's promise is more sure than anything. More sure than anything. And so, even though Sarah's womb is dead, even though I'm 100 years old, I believe God. And he did not waver, and he was strengthened, in verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. There's that word again. God had power to do what he had promised. God said it, it's going to happen. That's what I have hope in. That's what I have faith in. That's what I believe. Verse 22, it says, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. That's why he believed so much in God. That's why God blessed him. That's why God said, I'm going to use you to make you a father of many nations. Verse 23, the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over death of sins. I missed something here. Did I skip some verses? I think I did. No, I didn't. Okay. Okay, sorry. God who credited righteous for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And so even though Abraham's womb or Sarah's womb was dead and Abraham was 100 years old and was thought of as dead and just as Jesus was dead, he believed that God was able to bring from the dead, bring life even from that was dead. God who gives life to the dead and calls the things that are not as though they were. In verse um, 17, God who gives life to the dead and calls the things that are not as though they were. These polar opposites Thing, he, he says things that are dead, no, that, that's alive. And things that are not, oh no, that's already happened. It's not that they are, that they were, past tense. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Verse 30.
says, And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. God calls the things that are not as though they were. God knew me before I was in my mother's womb, the Psalms tell us. And before I was in that place, he predestined me. And he called me to follow after him. And he also justified me. And he also glorified me past tense. It doesn't say he will glorify you. It says he glorified you. He sees it as a done deal. This is faith. This is believing. I don't see myself as glorified, especially at the gym last night. I was far from glorified. I went to that cycling class. Oh, man. That lady was possessed. <laughs> He sees it as already done. Who are you going to believe? Do you believe you're glorified? Do you believe that God is able to call the things that aren't as though they're already done? They were. The things that are dead, they're alive. And we, we, we blind ourselves with the things that we see. Abraham didn't. Because Abraham believed God. And what God promised was a done deal. If necessary, he'll raise Isaac from the dead. But it's done. And God says, that's you're right before me because you trust in me. Not in your ability to do things right. And so many times it's like, man, my life, it's just, what do I have to do to get my life together? I mean, man, I guess I need to get up earlier and read. And you know what? I, I, need, to, I need to pray more. And, and yeah, those are all good things. But you know what? You are never going to, to bridge that gap between you and God. You can't read enough. You can't pray enough. There is not enough you can do to bridge that gap. So why do you keep trying? Why do we keep trying? Believe the promise of God. The gap's done. You have access to me. I am covering you. Believe in me. I have justified you. You are glorified. Now live your life. And have eyes that see past the things that we're living, past the circumstances that see the completed project that God has for us. Start living that life. What would you do if you had the ability to do anything? If you could not be stopped. Remember, there was a movie called Unbreakable, I think it was, back then, Bruce Willis, where he was like this comic book character and he couldn't get hurt. 
What would you do if you couldn't get hurt? What would you do if money didn't stop you? What would you do if there was nothing that could stop you in this life from doing those things that you wanted to do? What would you do? How would you live? Well, in a sense, God is saying, you are justified before me. You are right with me. How do you want to live now? Now that the slate is clean, now that you are glorified, now that everything is okay between you and me, now live this life in me without the hindrances, without the things holding you down. Believe in my promise for you. Live lives of faith that I am with you. And that's why when we went through the book of Acts, it was just so humbling to see, you know, Philip, he's in the city and all of a sudden God says, ah, go over here. It's like, what do you mean go over here? Well, there's an Ethiopian eunuch that I want you to minister to over in this place. Well, I don't have a job over there. What am I going to do? How, how am I going to... I mean, he just kind of goes. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second. Who's going to feed him? You know, does he have water bottles? What is he going to... How, how is he going to get there and get taken care of? And you know what? He believed what God told him and wasn't worried about the rest. And then when he got there, God translated him to somewhere else. That's nifty. What would happen if we just believed God? Just took him at his word and said, okay, I'm going to live my life this way because this is what you've said. And right here, Paul is telling us, you are justified by faith, just like Abraham was. In fact, he believed God. It was credited to him before he was even circumcised, before the law, that's when God got a hold of him, so he's your father too, and he's the father of those who have faith, just like he did. And so we are challenged with the same things that Abraham was challenged with, to believe God. That is the sure foundation. That is the guarantee. That is where we want to live. We're never going to be justified by the law, so we, we shouldn't even try. We, we, we don't need to follow regulations, what we need to do is believe what God has already done so that we can be set free. Because otherwise, that idea of I have to earn it, I have to be good enough, I have to get this place, it's like that Susan B. Anthony dollar. It just shows me where I'm at and it's my focus now. It's that elephant that I, I keep focusing on. And God's saying, no, I want to get you past that. I want to get you past these things. Believe in me that I've taken care of these so you can start living a life that's beyond those things, that's free from sin. But you don't understand. I still sin. I, you know, I, whatever your sin is, you know, I drink, I lust, I, you know, covet, I, I'm jealous. Whatever I still have these things. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I can believe those things that you see, like Abraham when he's 100 years old, or I can believe God, that you're glorified. It's done. It's been taken care of. You, you can move past that now. But I see, God's saying, what are you going to believe? Are you going to have faith in what I've done and that you can live for me? 
or are you going to try and earn your way? You see, it is the work of God's Spirit in us that frees us. It is belief in Him and the promise that He's given us that sets us free. It's not mustering our way. It's believing, God, you want me to live this way? I'm going to trust you that that's the way I should live. Do you still stumble and fall? Yeah, First John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. If you say you haven't sinned, you're a liar. I, I, I know you sin, but you're glorified. Come on, move up. Keep going. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. And that's a life of faith. That's the life that Paul is demonstrating that Abraham lived that he desires for us to live as well. And, and so just as Abraham is justified by faith, and remember we talked about justification Sunday, it means you have this credit in your account. It belongs to you. It's as if you had not sinned. That's how we live because of what Jesus has done. The atoning sacrifice is taking care of the debt. I can now walk with God in a relationship with him and not be bound by my sin, but have faith in him. If you're walking in a crowd of people, if you catch eyes with someone, you'll walk into them. It's like magnets. You know, you just, you see them and then you focus and so you start walking towards each other. If you focus on what's wrong, you stay focused on what's wrong. That's why we set our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. And so when you're walking in this world, don't focus on those things. Focus on Jesus, the promise of God for all of us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, even though my mind can begin to understand these things, for some reason I have a hard time living it. For some reason, Lord, I, I keep going back to the things that I see and the things that I have to do, and I keep trying on my own to make my life better, to make my life more holy. And I forget that you've already taken care of that. I can move past that now. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us all here tonight to be able to move past that, to believe your promise that you have predestined us, Lord, that you have called us that you have justified us, that you have glorified us, that it's already done, that it's not something we're hoping someday to be glorified. In your eyes, it's already done. We are covered. God, now help us to, to live that way, to believe you in what you've done, and that we'd be set free from just that focus that we get in so many times. And Lord, you want us to be set free so that our lives will bring honor to you. 
you want us to live lives that are holy and this is how we do it it's not by earning it it's by receiving your gift and allowing our lives to truly change and be transformed as your spirit works within us and so I pray you would help us to grasp hold of these things Lord and not condemn ourselves Lord because there is no condemnation for those who are in you God I thank you for again your words for the scriptures that speak to us the things that are necessary that help our thoughts turn towards you when the day they turn away and the evenings they they go somewhere else and Lord we are so fickle thank you for reminding us thank you for your promises that are guaranteed that are true and I pray for everyone in this room Lord you know where we're at you know our struggles you know what place we are in and how this can be appropriated to our lives Lord, this isn't something new. This is the truth that was there for Abraham and it is as sure for us as it was for him. Help us to grasp hold of it and that our lives would be changed because of it. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.